Hey, what's good, Rocky Peak? How are we doing this weekend? It is good. Oh, some of you have had coffee. It is good to be with you once again. Whether you're joining us on campus here inside the Worship Center, whether you are out braving the unpredictable elements on the patio, or you're joining us online, special welcome to those of you that are joining us on campus for the first time or watching for the first time. Welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And by the way, Revolution students, RPYA, I see you. I'm glad you're here, you guys. Uh, and we're going to go into that time of teaching. So if you haven't done so yet, if you would, open up those programs you got. Inside is a green and white message note sheet. As we say most weeks, that's a great tool to help you follow along this time of teaching. I also like to provide some blank space there in there for you to be able to jot down any specific insights the Holy Spirit is giving you. I'm going to pray to go ahead and lead us in our time, but before we do, there's something I want to share and celebrate. I'm not usually a sentimental person, and that's to a fault, but as we've entered into September, something I've realized is that I've now been on staff at Rocky Peak for 20 years, like, which, which is nuts, but, but one of the things that I celebrate with that is I'm just thankful for you, Rocky Peak. I'm thankful for you allowing me to be a part of this journey of us learning and growing together for what has felt like multiple, multiple lifetimes. And so with that spirit of gratitude, I want to go ahead and lead us in prayer. Jesus, I'm grateful for this local church. I'm grateful for the different men and women, the different teenagers, the different children you have called to be a part of this church. I'm thankful that despite our sin and imperfections, you do beautiful things through your spirit in us. But ultimately, as I stand with my brothers and sisters, I want to declare that I, that we, are thankful for you. We're thankful for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your conviction, which leads us to repentance so nothing gets in the way of enjoying you. We're thankful for your authority. We're thankful for your presence, and we could go on and on and on. And some of us are coming off of an incredible week. Some of us are coming off of an incredibly challenging week. Some of us are somewhere in between. But wherever we are coming from, we get to say we are thankful for who you are, Jesus. And so as we open up your word, which is living and active, we do so with the attitude of thanks. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your leading, which is going to lead to a new level of transformation. As I often pray, I pray that as a communicator, I would fall by the wayside, that I would be forgotten. I pray that you, King Jesus, would become so much more in our eyes and in our hearts. And it's in your name, King Jesus, we all say, amen. Rocky Peak, this is an exciting season as we are kicking off a brand new session of life groups this coming week. In fact, there's actually several life groups that are kicking off today. And if you've been around Rocky Peak for any length of time, you know that life groups matter to us. We often use the word that we would consider it the core ministry of Rocky Peak, that we design and build our church around this ministry of life groups, not just for adults, but that's true at, high, at the young adult level, at 
at high school, at middle school, and so on, we believe in life groups. And so as we're getting ready to kick off a new session of them, we felt led to take a one-week pause from our series in 1 Corinthians. Michael's going to be back next week and to continue to lead us in that series. And we wanted us pause and remember the why we do life groups and to gain a bigger vision, not just from love for life groups, but for church community as a whole. And so on that note, I want to begin with a story. And so just a few days ago, Megan and I, we were walking our kids into their school, and I happened to be wearing my San Francisco 49ers hat. And of course, I'm going to be repping the colors and the symbols of the greatest team that has ever played the game. Yeah, how'd that Thursday night go for you Rams fans? So, the greatest team that has ever played the game. And as we're walking our kids to school, we're walking through a crowd of people and this gentleman, this complete stranger to me, he obviously must have noticed my hat because as he walks by, he goes, go 49ers. Immediately, instinctively, I turn around and loudly, yeah, go 49ers. I don't know who this guy is. When I think about him, there's only two things I know to be true about him. One, clearly he makes good decisions. <laughs> and two, we are part of the same community. We're part of the same fandom. And you know what? It felt good. And as silly as that sounds, you can all relate to that, can't you? When you experience community over a shared interest, over a shared season in life, maybe a shared place or a shared experience, it feels good, doesn't it? And when you begin to examine that, it feels good because it feels good to be connected. It feels good to belong. And if we continue to go deeper, have you ever realized that that's been a desire in our hearts, to feel connected, to feel, to feel like we belong the entirety of our lives? Nobody had to teach us to desire community. It was naturally in us. And the reason why it was naturally in us is Rocky Peak, we were designed to yearn and pursue community. See, remember, we are created beings. We have been created by a brilliant and wonderfully creative creator God. And one of the things that God wired and programmed each and each and every one of us is the desire for community. And again, it's great when we find it on the surface level areas like affinity or station of life, but God has an epic vision for our lives. If you've been around Rocky Peak, you've heard Michael say that over and over again because it's true. God has an epic vision for each one of our lives and that vision, a key component of that vision involves community. God's vision for us is to experience the deepest level of community we possibly can and that's spiritual community. It's what we call the church, meaning we are community, we are connected, we are bound to one another because of what the cross of Jesus has done in our lives. And so when we look at this next season, yes, that applies to the church as a whole when we gather on the weekend, but especially it applies to life groups. And why life groups matter to us at Rocky Peak is not simply because they are a nice or a good thing to do. 
Life groups matter because we believe deeply that they are an essential way of experiencing more of God's epic vision for our lives, specifically his epic vision for what it means to be community. And so in our time together this week, and my hope as we go into the word together is to invite God's word to redefine how we view community, to give us a deeper vision for those of us as we start our life groups. Hear my heart, if you're not in a life group this next session, my hope is not to shame or guilt you, but again, to allow you to see God's vision for this community he calls the church. And so our primary passage is going to be at the end of Acts chapter 2. But before we go there, we need to set a little bit of a foundation. So there on the front of your note sheet, you've got a section titled, A Radical Transformation. Because God's vision for community is an overflow of his vision for transformation in each and every one of us. And so Acts chapter 2 is a beautifully rich chapter of scripture. In fact, you're gonna hear me say this a few times this morning, that I wanna encourage you to spend some time one-on-one with Acts chapter two. What I wanna do a little bit to give us a foundation is scratch the surface before we go on to understand community in a deeper way. So there in front of your note sheet, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And so let's pause and gain a visual for what's going on. Pentecost was a annual Jewish harvest festival. And so this Jewish community had gathered, not just the ones that lived in Jerusalem or close to Jerusalem, but because it was one of their big festivals, you had Jewish people that had pilgrimed from multiple different nations and surrounding areas. This is an unusual crowd. This is a big crowd. This is a diverse crowd. And so we read all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, sometimes when we read these supernatural events happening in Scripture, we can make the mistake of thinking it was absolutely normal for the people experiencing them. It was not. Acts chapter 2 describes this coming of the Holy Spirit as looking as tongues of fire that are coming and resting on them. And so they're asking the question that any of us would be asking, what is going on? And so Peter, one of the original disciples, one of the remaining 11 apostles at this point, begins to tell them it's because of Jesus. This is what the scriptures have been teaching us. This is what Jesus taught us. This is what he told us to wait for. And there in Yenochi, therefore let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so again, there is a lot there, but what we take away from Peter's message is that the resurrection of Jesus was not simply a miracle that happened, but it is the turning point of all of human history. 
The resurrection of Jesus unleashed a new age. It's why the New Testament begins with the resurrection of Jesus. It unleashed a new age. It unleashed a new reality in which nothing is ever going to be the same again. And the defining factor of this new age is life. The cross of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus means we now live because of the work of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the mark of life. When you gave your life to Jesus through that beautiful act of repentance, he gave you his spirit, not just so you experience life once, but that you would continually experience and live in the life he brings. And Rocky Peak, something you've heard me say over and over again, is Jesus does not come into our lives, does not bring his spirit and his transformation simply to make us slightly better versions of who we were before. But Jesus has come into our lives. He has given us his spirit to radically redefine and change everything. And so the Holy Spirit is now our teacher, our counselor to teach us how to be a new creation in a whole new reality. Now, that is the big picture, and as we go to our passage, one of these specific questions is how does the Holy Spirit redefine community, how we understand and how we engage with this beautiful mess called the church? And so with it, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be going to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 42, and when you saw me walk out, you better get ready to mark it up. So Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. They devoted themselves. Would you underline or highlight devoted themselves? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs by the apostles. Now let's pause there and unpack specifically would you draw your attention back to the word devoted? Would you rest in that word for a moment? Would you feel the weight of that word, so to speak? Devoted is a powerful word, is it not? Because devotion is another way of signifying commitment. To be devoted to someone to be devoted to something is not, is not something that naturally just happens. It's not something that falls into our laps. To be devoted means that we need to make an intentional choice, not just once, but over and over and over again. It is a powerful word of commitment. And so what we're going to see in this passage is specifically... They were devoted, in other words, they were committed to two key things. The first, as we've seen, is they were committed to experiencing more of Jesus through his word, through worship, which is more than just music, through seeking his presence, through prayer, through disciplines, through communion. But we're also going to see that they are devoted to experiencing more of Jesus, but they are also devoted to one another, this brand new community. So let's keep reading. Verse 44, all the believers were together. Would you underline or highlight the word together? 
and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so what's beautiful about this word is we see this model that Jesus gave us for this brand new community, what we call the church, that their new life started together. And because they experienced life begin together, they realized that they were now to live as a part of a community. Jesus didn't just resurrect us as individuals, he resurrected us as a beautifully new community. And so when it says that their hearts had a common foundation, what that is not saying, it's not saying that they became carbon copies of one another. Again, we have a beautifully creative creator who wired us differently with variations and distinctions on purpose. But what it means is that they now have a common foundation when it comes to the most important part of them. Their heart is now being built on the foundation that Jesus is king. If you're a Christ follower, you share that common foundation. In a room this size, there's people you know and there's people you don't. But if you look around this room to Christ followers you have yet to meet, you know the most important part of them, that their heart has declared Jesus is king. If you were to step into any other church, if you were to go to any other state, any other country, regardless of the language, regardless of the background, regardless of the culture, if you encounter a Christ follower, you are encountering the same foundation your heart is being built on, and that is Jesus is king. And so as we continue, verse 46, every day, they continue to meet in the temple courts. Would you underline or highlight temple courts? They broke bread in their homes. Would you underline or highlight that? In their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily. Would you underline and highlight that? And the Lord added to their numbers daily, those who were being saved. And so what we see is they were gathering at the temple courts. Picture a large group gathering like we're doing right now, but they were hungry to be together. And so this gathering in a large group was not enough. They wanted to continue to be together. And so they would go from these large groups to a smaller, more intimate setting where not only they could together pursue and know more of who King Jesus is, but by going to a smaller, more intimate setting, they could now be known by other people. They could now know others in their community. They could hear stories. They could share life. They could share resources. They could share hurts. They could share burdens. What we see through the model of the early church in Acts chapter 2 was that being together had not, had at one point before Jesus, not been normal. Now being together was a defining factor of a whole new reality. Not being together was seen as an interruption. Their lives were now being built by being together, by being a part of this large group community as well as being part of a small group community. It was a whole new mode of existence. And so that's our primary passage for this morning. And what I want to do 
is out of that passage flow two important truths that I believe give us a deeper vision for why we gather in our life groups. And so there on your note sheet, you've got a section titled that, Redefining Community, A Deeper Vision. And your first fill-in is this, community is a sign of new life. Community is a sign of new life. And this is a key distinction between the church community and any other community we're gonna encounter or be a part of. While it's great to gather or be in community with people over affinity or stages of life, this reason is what cuts to the core of who we are. We gather as a church on the weekends. We gather in our life groups every week as a response to the truth that we are now alive because of the work of Jesus in us. You know, this past Friday night, we gathered in this room, our life group leaders and hosts to just prepare and speak a word over this session. And Joel, Pastor Joel Enyard, he spoke an incredible word over them in which he was telling them, what you do is not ordinary. Gathering in our life groups is not ordinary. It's anything but ordinary. It is supernatural, again, because the reason we gather is because we are now alive in Christ. And so again, that gives us a bigger vision for why we gather, that the life that Jesus brings through his cross is an act of undeserved grace. And he continues to show us his grace by leading us into a community that has experienced that same grace, that same mercy, that same forgiveness, that same life. It is a joy and a privilege to be able to gather with one another. You know, over the years, many of you have heard me quote Pastor Timothy Keller. He has been almost for 40 years a pastor in New York City. I love his teaching. I love his writing. And there in your note sheet, he says this. They don't come together as a response to a command. They don't come together as a response to duty. They come together as a response to the new life. That's radical. That's new. It's a sign of life. Whether we know each other or not, we come together because of the most important thing about us. We have been made alive in Christ. And his vision for community is bigger than me individually. It's a vision for us. And what's beautiful about gathering for life, when we think about the Roman world at the time that the church began, is the church gathering was absolutely baffling to the Romans. And the reason why is the church was breaking all the barriers that the commonly understood communities all experience. This church community, these small group communities, was for men and women, children and adults. This church community was for all ethnicities, all cultures, all different backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles. This community defied the barriers of geographic location. This community defied economic barriers, whether you had very much or you had very little. Not only that, but this was baffling to the Romans because there was a significant cost to be an outcast 
Christ follower in the Roman world. There was a cause for what they would call this cult gathering. If you were a Christ follower, there was a social cost. You lost friends and relationships over it. There was a political cost. You were viewed as the atheist in the Roman Empire if you didn't accept the pantheon of gods. There was a financial cost as they're losing their jobs, as people don't want to do business with them anymore. There was a time cost. There was a resource cost as persecution would grow. There was a safety cause. And yet, they grew. They grew. And with all of those potential barriers, with all of those costs, why in the world would someone want to join one of those small groups? Because they saw the life that they were experiencing. And they realized they couldn't get that life in any other community and said that I want that too. Community is a sign of new life. Now, the second truth I want to unpack, the second fill-in is this. Commitment is the foundation of community. Commitment is the foundation of community. And so what I mean by this is Rocky Peak, we are alive as Christ followers as a result of Jesus' commitment to us. Jesus was so committed to us that he entered into a broken and dark world that he didn't break. He entered into our messy and broken story that he didn't cause. He entered into our dark and disgusting sin. He bore it on what should have been our cross. He crucified it and he conquered it by rising again three days later. That is the definition of commitment. But what's beautiful about the transformation that Jesus brings into each and every one of our lives is he is transforming us to be like him. His spirit is given to us to empower us to do what he did. And for our purposes in this context, he empowers us to show the same level of commitment to one another that Jesus did and Jesus does. Committing to our community is an opportunity to be more like Jesus. And the reason why this truth is so important is because I'm going to be the first one to admit Rocky Peak. I experience a temptation when it comes to church community. I experience a temptation when it comes to life group community. And that temptation is to engage and be a part of it when it's convenient. when it fits in my schedule, when it doesn't have such a significant cost. Sometimes, maybe even without saying these words, what I realize is, yeah, I'll engage in community when what I truly consider to be the important things of my life are taken care of. If we examine our hearts as I've been examining mine, there's times we want our church community, our life groups, to be logistically convenient. There's times we want our life groups to be emotionally convenient. Don't challenge me. Don't dig deep. 
let me just come in, smile, and leave. There's times when we want our life group community to be spiritually convenient. Let me just give you an easy answer. Don't ask hard questions. Don't hold me accountable. I'm not going to share what I'm wrestling with or what I'm hiding with. And so again, hear my heart. The heart is not to shame or to guilt, but a spirit of empowerment. Jesus has given us his spirit for us to do what we can't do on our own, and that is to empower us to make a deeper commitment, a Christ-like commitment to one another. And hear me, the spirit does not empower us so that we can check life groups off a Christian checklist. The Spirit empowers us to make a deeper commitment because through which the Spirit is going to lead us to a deeper experience of Jesus in our lives. That is what transformation is all about, becoming more like Jesus. Community is a sign of life. An overflow of that life is making the commitment to one another that Jesus has made. And commitment is a big deal when it comes to our life groups. If you've been in a life group before, you know that most life groups the first week start with what we call the covenant. And that's an intentional word. As we look at scripture, God covenanted with us. He promised us a saving and hope. And now when it comes to covenanting, we have the opportunity to make those commitments to one another intentionally. And so in your life groups in week one, you're going to go through some specific commitments you're going to be asked to make to one another. But what I want to do as a church is I want to hit three what I would call essential commitments that we make to the large group as well as that we make to our life groups. So there in your note sheet, section titled Redefining Community, Three Essential Commitments. And your first fill-in is this. The first commitment we make is spiritual growth. When it comes to our life groups, when it comes to our church, we are making the commitment to pursue spiritual growth. And hear me, Rocky Peak. Spiritual growth is not that you know all the answers. Spiritual growth is not that you reach this echelon of perfection and somehow you've limited it yourself to two sins a day. Spiritual growth is rooting yourselves more in the character of Jesus and experiencing his transformation as a result. Spiritual growth is experiencing more of his love and experiencing a deeper love for him. And there is significant spiritual growth that happens individually. Something that we talk about often from up here, and we even talk about often in our life groups, is that a significant part of our spiritual growth is our one-on-one -on -one individual rhythms with Jesus. But not only that, Jesus has given us the gift to be able to grow spiritually with one another. And if you think about your life as a Christ follower, if you have experienced those seasons in which you know you are growing, in those seasons in which Jesus is becoming clear, in which God is removing sin in your life, when you are experiencing those in community, it makes it taste richer, doesn't it? 
but you also know if you think about your spiritual life, when you experience those seasons in which growth seems intimidating, if not even impossible, in which it's challenging, it's convicting, it's asking a lot of you, doing those seasons with community gives us the encouragement, the accountability, the strength, others to carry our burden when we feel like we can't continue. Spiritual growth in community is another act of God's grace for us. Community helps us grow. Let me illustrate it this way. If you've ever made a decision to improve your physical health, whether you've made a decision to change the way you eat, what you're putting in your body, or you make a decision to change your activity level, to go to the gym or become more active, there are some of you that again, you are wired, you are self-starters when it comes to your physical health. You are gym monsters and God bless you. But the rest of us, we need a hand, don't we? And if you've ever made those choices, you've experienced the benefit of pursuing health together. When you are eating kale, When you are waking up at five in the morning to go to the gym, there is a motivating factor of knowing that your friends are just as miserable as you are. <laughs> it motivates us to do what seems hard, doesn't it? It provides accountability. Hey, how was it going with your diet this week? Hey, did you make it? Did you hit what you were going to do? but also community helps us develop rhythms so that when they're not there, we know how to continue on our own. We are designed to grow with one another. And as we saw in Acts chapter two's model, together as a life group community, we go to the word together. We read it, we let it speak over us, we ask questions about it, we try to understand, we pursue worship, the presence together, we pursue repentance and accountability together, we serve together, we reach others, do this work of evangelism together. And so the first commitment we need to make as we go into our life groups this session is spiritual growth. And so what does that mean practically? So hear my heart, Rocky Peak, I don't mean these facetiously, these next steps matter. Practically, it means you show up. It means if you've made that commitment, you show up. And again, not in a joking sense, you show up on time. You make that effort and you're ready to go. What does it mean to be committed to your spiritual growth in your life groups? It means you do the study whether you're sermon-based, whether you're book-based, whether you're doing another type of curriculum or season of life view, you do the study, and I don't mean you do the study on the drive to life group. <laughs> it means you spend time with it and allow the Lord to use it. It means you engage in discussion. And there's some of you here and some of you know there are people that have no problem with that. And there's some of us that we adore life group, we adore, but we feel inadequate. We feel almost like we're imposters. Well, who am I to say something? Who am I to bring something to the table? What if I don't understand as everybody else, whatever is going on in your heart, somebody else in that group needs to hear it. Because we're doing this together. It means you go and you ask questions. 
It means you say, hey, I don't understand this about what the word is teaching. Hey, I don't understand about what God is doing in my life. You share your doubts, you share your questions because those are key ways in which God grows us. And so we are committed to spiritual growth together. The second fill-in, the second commitment we make, we are committed to loving one another. We are committed to loving one another. If you're familiar with the Gospels, the four books that tell us about the life and teachings of Jesus, there's a section in those Gospels that is often referred to as the greatest commandment. Jesus says what the most important thing any of us could be doing with our lives, love God. And then out of the overflow of that, love people. Without God, we can't love people. But with that, if you've been a longtime Christ follower, there is a temptation and there is a trap in that we have heard the greatest commandment before. We have heard messages and teachings on the greatest commandment before. We have done life group studies on the greatest commandment before. And what can happen is we can get numb to the fact that the greatest commandment, love God and love people, is not a cute suggestion. It is a command from King Jesus. But commands from our king always are designed to lead to life. Love God. And out of the overflow of that, you are going to experience a deeper life through allowing him to empower you to love other people well. Because the truth is, loving people is not easy, is it? Think about the relationships you value in your life. Some deep friendships, relationships with coworkers, Relationships with your family, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, relationships with a spouse, relationships with children. Think about relationship with your church or relationship even with God. Haven't there been points in your life when you looked at your relationships and went, I did not expect how hard this was going to be. Loving people would be amazing if it didn't involve people. Because people are hard. People are gonna people. And so here's what we need to take away from this. Loving people well is learned. We need to be taught how to love people well. And life groups are a key way to learn how to love other people well because the Lord wants more, something deeper for our life. And so if we pray, God, I wanna learn how to love people better, he's not just gonna flip a switch and go, boom, now you can. He's gonna lead you into opportunities where he needs to teach you and he needs to grow you because he wants you to experience and to show a deeper love. And so in life group, the Holy Spirit is gonna give you opportunities to love others in various ways. The Holy Spirit's gonna give you the opportunity to love other people in life group through giving. Maybe it's giving of time or giving of resources. Some of you, the Holy Spirit is gonna teach you this by asking you to give patience or gentleness or warmth. For some of you, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to teach you this through asking you to give forgiveness and restoration. 
For many of us, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us this by leading us to walk with someone as they're struggling and dealing with sin. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us how to hold someone accountable, how to love them by sometimes speaking some hard things. For many of us, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us how to love others well through conflict. Because in life group, we're going to experience different personalities. We're going to experience different viewpoints, different opinions. We're going to experience different passions, different excitements, different gifts, different callings. The Holy Spirit is going to empower us to love others in a way we can't do on our own. And if anything I listed sounds intimidating, sounds scary, makes you go, I don't know if I can love like that, you can't, but the Spirit can. But not only that, let's celebrate this. Just as I'm calling you to engage with the Spirit in this, right now, the Holy Spirit is preparing someone at Rocky Peak to love you in these ways. You know, over the years, I've talked a lot about Catherine Wolf, speaker, author, survivor of a massive, massive spinal stroke. And she writes in her book, Suffer Strong, there in your note sheet, like most families, we didn't agree on everything. We hurt each other's feelings sometimes. We grew closer in some seasons and apart in others. Yet we had chosen to be in community and that experience of choosing again and again over the years, especially through suffering. What do you see right there? Devotion, commitment. That experience of choosing again and again over the years, especially through suffering, created a bond that none of us had ever known before. And the final commitment that we make as we head into this life group season is adding others. The opportunity to respond to the life that Jesus has given us, to experience more of that life together in our small groups is not limited to when we find a group. But God's vision is for us to multiply these offerings. God's vision is for others to come and respond to life through being in a life group. And so what I want to introduce to you is I want to introduce what I would suspect for many of you is a brand new prayer. And that would be to go before the Lord, whether you're an adult, whether you're a teenager, but if you're in a life group setting, to go, Jesus, how do you want to add others through me? How do you want to add others to this community, to our church, to life groups, through me? And the beautiful thing is then we step back and let God be God. And the answers are going to be different. There are some of you that the Lord may lead you to be a life group leader or host for the next session. There are some of you that the Lord may lead you to be praying that other leaders and hosts would be risen up. There are some of you that the Lord may lead you to invite somebody to join a life group you're in next session. There are some of you that the Lord may lead you to talk about this life group community to someone in your life that doesn't yet go to church and maybe doesn't yet know Jesus. Whatever it is, this call to add others is all of our calls. And the Spirit is going to empower us each in unique ways. And so our charge, our commitment is to go before Jesus and ask that question. How do you want to add others to this community through me? And so with that being our three commitments, spiritual growth, loving one another, and adding others, what I want to do as I wrap things up is I want to just reflect on one final question. So there in your note sheet, 
you've got a section titled Preparing Our Hearts. And so Rocky Peak, I will always bring this up in a teaching. What we do here on the weekend is meant to be a catalyst for you to go and before, be before the Lord one-on-one. And so as I often say, I want to encourage you sometime in the next 24 hours to carve out some unrushed, uninterrupted time. I would invite you to spend some time in Acts chapter 2 because, again, there is a richness of there. But I want to invite you to specifically, when it comes to our life groups, when it comes to our church, to go before Jesus and ask this question on your note sheet. What are you bringing to community? Our leaders and our hosts have been working hard to prepare and bring something already. But this involves all of us. What are you bringing to community? And you might have some ideas, you might have some initial blinks or some initial answers, but again, I want to encourage you to go before the Lord and let him speak into this. And with that, I want to paint a picture or an illustration of a potluck. Many of our life groups are going to kick off week one with a potluck. And man, there are some people at Rocky Peak that a potluck is your sport. There are some people at Rocky Peak that you take the potluck seriously and you blow our minds with what you whip up or what you bring. Thank you for your gifts and talents and service. And then there's people like me. And my go-to when it comes to a potluck is napkins. I will bring... The napkins, sometimes if I'm feeling fancy, cups, but I will bring the napkins. Now, I'd love to tell you that I bring the napkins for a very purposeful reason, that I want to be respectful to the host so that we don't drip, that without napkins, really, napkins are the foundation of any good potluck. Manners are their own rewards. I'd love to lawyer up and tell you that's why I do it. I bring napkins because it requires the least amount of efforts. I don't even have to go to the store. I just go underneath my sink and grab a roll. (laughs) But the truth is, Rocky Peak, sometimes that's how I approach life groups. What's the least amount of effort I can put into this? What is the least amount of participation? What is the smallest thing I can bring or add to this community so that I've done my duty, I can check it off the box, and I can go back to my life? God's vision is for more. He is asking each one of us to give more so that through it, we can experience more in this next session. And so I want you to go before the Lord because he might invite you to bring something to the, to the spiritual potluck that might surprise you. Maybe for you, God is going to invite you to bring vulnerability. God is going to invite you to open up about your life, to open up about your struggles, to open up about your hurts, to open up about your doubts, because he wants to speak into it or he wants you and your imperfection to help minister to someone else. Maybe for some of you, God is gonna invite you to bring your gifts in a new way. Your gift of 
insight, whether you realize it or not, your gift of warmth, your gift of encouragement, your gift of hospitality. Maybe for some of you, it's going to be your presence. The fact that you are making commitment to be there on time means that person that doesn't know what they're doing, that feels scared and intimidated, they're going to get to see you. And you have the opportunity to make a difference, to start building some encouragement as they engage this. Whatever it may be, we want to let King Jesus tell us what we're bringing to this potluck. And so what are you bringing to community? And so as we've seen in our time together at Rocky Peak, we gather as a celebration of the life we have received, and we gather because it's an opportunity to experience more of the life that King Jesus has for us. And so as we wrap up our time together, we're going to go into a final song of worship. And in this song of worship, it's one that I love because it's an opportunity to celebrate and declare that we are alive in Jesus. But not only that, as we go into this last song of worship, we're going to celebrate the life that Jesus has given us through the act of communion. And so if you look around, there are tables set up around this room. After I pray and the band begins playing, I want to invite you to go ahead and go to this table if you are a believer in Jesus. If you have given your life to Jesus through an act of repentance, this is our time to celebrate that even at our most sinful and our darkness, we were more loved than we could possibly imagine. As we go to the communion tables, we get to celebrate that we get to take it together. We get to be here as community. We have life individually. We have life as a church. And so as we close out our service, we are closing it out with a celebration of the life that Jesus brings. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we are alive because of you. We're no longer defined by sin. We're no longer defined by darkness. We're defined by life, by resurrection. Jesus, your life continues to wash over our imperfections. Your life is not held back by our inadequacies, by our anxieties, by our fears and our failures. Jesus, we are alive because you have made us so. We are alive because you are alive. And so Jesus, thank you that not only have you given us the gift of life, but through that you've given us this gift of community. We are here on the weekend together to celebrate King Jesus. As we go into this new life group session, I want to pray for the hosts, for the leaders. I want to pray for each member of a life group that this would be a season in which we fall deeper in love with you, in which we experience a deeper sense of your love for us, in which we see the supernatural power of your life unleashed through us individually and together. And so as we declare these songs, these words that are celebrating resurrection alive as we take communion as family and we say thank you Jesus for your cross we're alive and it's all because of you and it's in your name King Jesus we all say amen